today's Bible reading passage is from um, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 1 to 19. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God. Though you made your heart like the heart of a God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you made your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you in, down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, burial, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub, I place you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Thank you, Jason, for reading God's Word. Uh, we are on Ezekiel chapter 28 now. We've been uh, at the book of Ezekiel for a while now, for about what, three, four Sundays. 
Uh, so we are sort of in the midsection uh, today. Well, by now you, you would know that I love movies, uh, especially superhero movies. I almost talk about movies every time I uh, preach, I think. You might wonder, like, this guy, does this guy work at all? I just watch movies all the time. Well, I do work as well from time to time. Uh, well, in, in 2018, I still remember feeling excited going to the cinema to watch this movie. To watch this movie. Avengers Infinity War. Uh, the movie uh, introduced Thanos as the main villain at the superhero, as, uh, that the superheroes needed to fight. And as, as, as I watched the plot unfold, uh, all the efforts to defeat Thanos, this is Thanos, by the way, that guy, yes, uh, all the efforts came to nothing. And at the end of the movie, Thanos managed to collect all the infinity stones, and with a flick of his finger, of his fingers, one by one, the superheroes turned to dust. And then the movie ended. I thought, what? That's it? No, growing up, I didn't read Marvel comic books, so I didn't know what to expect. So I left the cinema very disappointed. That's not right. That cannot be it. Uh, thankfully, someone quickly told me that, oh, there will be another movie following this. Don't worry, that's not the end. So that's a relief. You see, we are, we are bothered, I think, when we watch a movie with that kind of endings. Movies that end without a proper resolution to the tension especially when the bad guys won, especially when the bad guys won and the good guys lost. That cannot be the end. That is not right. Something in us is telling us that that is not right. And, and no wonder one of the questions commonly asked about Christianity or against Christianity, I should say, is this question. Where is God when there's so much evil and wickedness in this world? Just by reading the news, we know that things are just going from bad to worse. If there is a God, if He is good, why do bad people seem to have the upper hand? Now, as Christians, it's comforting to know that our suffering is partly because God is disciplining us and shaping our character. Uh, God is treating us as His children. But still, what about evil and wickedness? Is God going to do anything about it? Well, to some extent, that's, what ha that's, that's what's happening here in Ezekiel. Uh, from chapter 12 to chapter 24, God declares judgment over Israel because of their ongoing rebellion. And God does not hold back. He says in chapter 24, verse 13 to 14, He says, On account of your unclean lewdness, because I would have cleansed you and you will not cleanse from your uncleanness, you shall not be cleansed anymore till I have satisfied my fury upon you. I am the Lord, I have spoken, it shall come to pass. I will do it, I will not go back, I will not spare, I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. So God's people exiled, Jerusalem destroyed, the promised land ransacked. So what now? Is that the end of God's people? Is God going to do anything regarding the evil and wickedness in this world? And that's why our passage today is, is very encouraging because the good news of this section of Ezekiel is actually this, that God is not yet done with His people and God is going to do something about the evil 
in this world. And I hope that today's passage will also enlarge our understanding of who, who God is. So three things I want to highlight from today's passage, that God defends His people, God judges the proud, and God destroys the enemy. So firstly, God defends His people. In Ezekiel chapter 28, you see when, when we read the chapter uh, uh, verse 1, Ezekiel prophesies against the nation of Tyre, against the prince of Tyre. And the prophecy actually starts back in chapter 26. And God tells us why God is punishing Tyre. He says, In the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. Its eyes shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. So God judges Tyre because they rejoiced at the downfall of Israel. They mocked God's people. In fact, Tyre is not the only nation that God turned against. In chapter 25, Ezekiel prophesies against Ammon, Moab, Seir, Adam, and the Philistines. And in chapter 26 to 28, Ezekiel prophesied against Tyre and Sidon, and finally against Egypt in chapters 29 to 32. All are judged by God because of similar reasons. For example, God judges the Ammonites, the Moabites, Seir, because they rejoice over the desolation of Israel's temple and land. God judges Adam and the Philistines because they attacked Israel and took advantage of the downfall of Israel. And then God judges Egypt because they took advantage of Israel's desperate situation and they betrayed Israel. I still remember when I was in primary school, I experienced quite a bit of bullying because of two things, my height or the lack of it and my body size or the excess of it. <laughs> because of that, I made it my ambition to be good and to do well at school because at least I could have something that I was proud of. So it sort of became my identity, which is another story. But another reason I wanted to do well at school was that I did not want to get into trouble with my teachers. Because if you grew up in an Asian, typical Asian household like mine, if you got into trouble with teachers at school, chances are you might also get into trouble with your parents at home. You know, you go home, Mom, Dad, teach my teacher beat me at school just now, my body hurts. What? Let me talk to your teacher tomorrow. Poor boy. Would you like me to get you an ice cream? No way, right? <laughs> That's what you expect, but instead you get, what did you do? Huh? What did you do? <laughs> of course, not all Asian parents are like that, and my parents were not always like that, and I hope my kids will think that I'm not like that. Anyway, but there was always a slight chance it would happen. So at times, we kept quiet. We just don't tell mom and dad about what happened at school. What happened at school stays at school. But, but not God here, not God. He defends His people. He defends His people. Now, of course, God defends His people not because His people are very nice. Not because His people deserved it. God defends His people simply because God is faithful to His people. And another reason that God defends His people is because God wants the nation to know that the God behind Israel is the God of the universe. Pastor David mentioned a few weeks ago that the phrase, then you or they will know that I am the Lord occurs like 72 times in Ezekiel. 
And 18 of them, which is a quarter, occur in this section, chapters 25 to 32. Verse 7, uh, chapter 25, verse 7, for example, I will cut you off from the peoples and it will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is talking to the Ammonites. And verse 11, and I will execute judgments upon Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. That's verse 11. And then verse 17, I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay vengeance upon them. So God judges the surrounding nations so that they know that the God of Israel is not a local God who is only interested in the affair of Israel. No, that God wants them to know that He is the sovereign God of the universe. God is never just a local deity of Israel. God is the God of all nations. The surrounding nations feast upon Israel's calamity, thinking that Israel's God is weak and unable to defend His people. But God tells them that Israel's exile is not due to the mighty act of their gods. Israel's exile is God's doing. God is the one running the show not their gods. If anything, in verse 25 to 26 in chapter 28, God is actually saying that I will restore Israel once I've done, once I've disciplined them, once I've judged them, I will restore them, I will bring them back. God is running the show. So God judges His people. Yes, we saw that in chapter 12 to 24, but He is also a fierce defender of His people. Now, it's worth noting that God judges the nations not only because they mock His people. There's another reason why God judges them, which leads us to the next point. Secondly, God judges the proud. And God says this to the prince of Tyre. Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Ultimately, God punishes the prince of Tyre. Ultimately, God judges the nations because of their pride, of their pride, thinking that, especially for Tyre here, thinking that he is a God. Now, Tyre was located at the coast of Mediterranean Sea. So this is Tyre here, and this is the, uh, the trade route of the Phoenicians. And taking advantage of its location and its strength, the king of Tyre wisely built the nation into a maritime superpower. If you read chapter 27, it tells that they built beautiful and commanding ships crewed by skilled mariners. Their ships bring in trades and commodities from all the surrounding nations, gold, silver, precious metals, horses, ivory tusk, precious stones, fine linen, garments, rugs, honey, oil, balm, wool, lambs, rams, goats, and even human slaves as well. You can see this in chapter 27. Tyre was a maritime superpower and a wealthy nation. That's why, because of his maritime wealth and prowess, the king of Tyre claimed that he was the god of the seas. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Now, I know none of us here might claim to be a god. But when we are good at something, when we are good at something, it's easy for us to be prideful 
and that we think that people must admire us and must worship us. That's what happened in social media. You just, you're just good at one thing and people just need to, you think that people must worship you. And when we are prideful, we think that we don't need anyone else, let alone God. And that's the essence of sin, right? Thinking that we are wise in our own eyes, thinking that we are self-made, that we earn and deserve everything that we have, and that we have no need for God. Because to some extent, we think we are a God. Friends, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, chances are you are not a Christian because you don't think that you, you, that you need God. Friends, I really hope that you realize that everything that you are, everything that you have now is from God. Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 to 18 says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has, have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you not even the wealth, but also the power to get wealth. You see, without God and without His grace, we are nothing. We are nothing. So while, while we still have a chance, while you still have a chance, I plead with you, turn to Him and acknowledge, acknowledge God. You see, because of His pride, that God, God judges Tyre by sending another nation to destroy Tyre. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. When God acts, when God acts, the very thing that you put your hope in won't be able to help you, won't be able to save you. Their wisdom couldn't help them. Their splendor will be turned to nothing. And ironically, they will die in the heart of the seas. They will be proven helpless even in the domain where they claim superior. And the foreigners here, we know that it refers to the Babylonians. God used the Babylonians as his instrument of judgment against Ammon, Moab, Seir, and also Egypt in chapters 29 to 32. And this should remind us of Proverbs 21 verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is saying to us, saying to them and saying to us that he is the sovereign orchestrator of the history of the world. He humbles the wicked and he judges the proud. And finally, my third point, he destroys his enemy. God destroys the enemy. Now, what do you mean by the enemy here? Well, let me try to explain. In verse 12, God says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now, the prince of Tyre in verse 1 and the king of Tyre in verse 12 is, are actually referring to the same person, which is the ruler of Tyre. However, curiously, the two verses use different titles. And if you look at verses 12 to 19, Although some of the descriptions can be said to refer to a human king of Tyre, some of them are almost mythical. Some of the features are not of a human being. They are features of somehow a more elevated being. For example, in verse 12, it says, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And then in verse, in verse 13, it says that this figure was in Eden, the garden of God. 
adorned with every precious stone from the day he was created. And in verse 14, you were an anointed guardian cherub. You, he was the chief of the angels. And in verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. But then in verse 17, this figure became proud because of his beauty, and he tried to topple God from his throne, thinking he could be God, and because of that, God cast him out. So this is not talking about a mere mortal, not merely a human ruler. Instead, if you are familiar with the Bible, you would know that these are descriptions of Satan, the fallen angel. So by using different titles, I believe, by using different titles, prince and king, the prophecy is telling us that while the ruler of Tyre is in charge of the nation, there is another being, there is a supernatural being who is ultimately in charge of the rebellious nations. In Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, for example, God does the same thing as well. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4 to 11, God speaks against Babylon. But then in verses 12 to 15, the descriptions shift to talking about an elevated being, which is Satan. So both in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 show that Satan is behind the rebellious people who rebelled against God. From the very beginning, Satan is trying to use human beings against God. Satan is, from the time of Adam and Eve, Satan has been trying to turn man against God to get man to join his ranks and rebel against God. Behind every sin and behind every temptation, especially the sin of pride, Satan lurks to destroy us. You see, this is an example of what we call apocalyptic writing, apocalyptic writing. Apocalyptic writing basically is a writing that consists of a revelation with, with vision and symbolism that is out of this world to show us a supernatural reality, to show us a different reality. For example, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, when Daniel prayed and pleaded with God for the sake of his people, when Daniel is asking, God, you promised that you're going to bring us back to the promised land. So what is happening? The time is now. What are you going to do about this? God gave Daniel a vision to show Daniel that there was a cosmic battle in the supernatural realm that Daniel didn't know about. God is basically saying that you know what you can see, but let me show you another reality that you don't know about. Indeed, as Optimus Prime says in the movie Transformers, there is more than meets the eye, right? So just like in Ezekiel 28 here, by turning the prophecy against the earthly king Tyre to an apocalyptic prophecy against Satan, God is showing us that there are battles on both fronts in the natural and the supernatural realms God is fighting both, and He will be victorious in both. Eventually, God will not just deal with injustice, evil, and wicked people. God will also deal with Satan himself. God still allows Satan to roam the earth because God hasn't dealt fully with evil and wickedness. He still wants more people to come to Him, repentance. But one day, He will banish Satan and evil from this world. Verse 19, God says, All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. That is the end of Satan. That is the end of wickedness and evil in this world. 
So in verses 1 to 10 in this chapter, God shows himself to be the conductor of the history of the world. And here in verses 11 to 19, we learn that God is also in charge of the cosmic and supernatural reality. In the end, God will destroy his enemy and everyone in heaven and earth will know that he is the sovereign Lord. So, God defends his people, God judges the proud, and he destroys the enemy. This was a tremendous encouragement for the people of Israel who were in exile because this tells them that God hasn't forgotten them, God is still faithful to them, and one day God will right, God will right every wrong and will bring wickedness to justice. And for us who live in the side of history, they all find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Firstly, Jesus defends his people. He died for his people. If we look around the room here, very few of us are Israelites. We are not his chosen nation. But the good news is this. If you believe in Jesus' death for your sins and believe in his resurrection for your eternal life, then you will be grafted into his people. You can be his people. Every one of us here can be his people. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are his people, Jesus will defend you. And secondly, in Jesus, God also judges the proud. On the cross, God shows that he uses the foolishness of this world to shame the wise. He uses the weak to shame the strong. It is not the rich and the strong who will inherit the earth. It is the meek and the poor in spirit. Jesus became weak so that in him we will become strong. And finally, in Jesus, God destroys the enemy. Satan thought that he had the upper hand when Jesus was crucified. But Jesus died to secure our forgiveness according to God's perfect plan. Satan did not have the upper hand. And Jesus rose again to secure for us eternal life according to God's sovereign purpose. In the beginning, we, we started by asking, where is God when there is so much evil and wickedness in this world? If there is a God and if He is good, why do bad people seem to have the upper hand? Well, Ezekiel verse 28, chapter 28 tells us that God is the sovereign orchestrator of everything, both in, on earth and in the heavenly realm, and He will deal with evil and wickedness in this world. And when He does, everybody will know that He is the Lord. So friends, my, my question to us is now this. Do we know that He is the Lord? Do we know that He is the Lord? Do you, do you actually really look forward to Him executing His judgment on earth fully? Do you look forward to the return of King Jesus? Yes, the gospel says that God loves you, he forgives you. That's all true. But God is not just a gentle and kind, tender Savior. He is also a strong and fierce warrior king. He will bring His judgment, and when He does, He will not hold back. So if you don't turn from your sin, if you are like the king of Tyre and think that you don't need God, you should be terrified. 
Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So friends, when Jesus returns, whether you like it or not, you will know him. Whether you like it or not, maybe you don't acknowledge him as king now, as Lord now, but when he returns, you will see that he is the Lord. The question is, will you see him as your savior and defender? Or will you see him as your judge and adversary? Will you see his face shining upon you? Or will you see his eyes blazing red against you? Will you continue in your sin and pride and fall under God's judgment? Will you remain his enemy and perish in hell? Or will you repent from your sins and turn to Jesus? Because then he will be your defender, he will be your advocate, and he will be your saviour. Let me pray and I'll give all of us time to ponder upon the words from this Ezekiel 28. If, you are, if, we are, if you call us yourselves Christian, thank God, thank Jesus that He is your defender. We don't deserve His sacrifice on the cross, but yet He did for us and we have, we have been given the, 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 the gift of faith. We have seen, in our, we have seen Him as our Savior and Lord, and we, let's thank God for that. But at the same time, in, examine our hearts. If there's any pride, if there's any any aspect of our lives that we think that we are God, we think that we are a God. Repent from your sins. And for those of us who don't know Jesus yet, who don't acknowledge Jesus yet, friends, I plead with you, turn to Him. And if you want to do it, just, just pray to God, God, I'm a sinner. I've been living my own way, not acknowledging you, thinking that I have known it for you. And I want to turn to you. I want to call you my Lord and Savior. I want to receive, I want to accept the gift of salvation. I want to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for my sin. And friends, if you do that, you will become his people and Jesus will be your advocate, will be your defender. Father, we are thankful, Lord, uh, for this strong word in Ezekiel 28. But it is the truth. We need to hear that from time to time. We, we don't want just to hear all the soft, mushy word of, of this uh, fluffy love that we somehow know or we, 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 we like to hear. But we are thankful, Lord, that you show us the truth that you are also a warrior king. You are a fierce warrior king. Help us to fear you and admire you and worship you, Lord for who you really are. Help us to come to you daily as friend, but not just as friends, but as Lord and King. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for all, your, all what you have done by sending your Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. We don't deserve it, but yet you did that for us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.